Hello everybody and welcome to Jack's Corner. I'm Tarzan Banano and with me as always is our founder Jack Figgle. This week we're going back to uh, meetings of famous people, his words again, not mine, uh, this time with Patriarch Bartho Bartholomew. Sorry man. Um, but to begin, Jack, how are you doing? Oh, very good. Tarzan, how are you? I am well. Good. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. So where do you want to start? So we're going to go back, uh, let's see, almost 30 years. 30 years? Uh, 30 years, yeah. Uh, the year was 1996, so that's actually 28 years ago. Yep. Uh, the month was April, so this, we're approaching around uh, here in North America. Do you remember the day? Uh, yeah. And uh, it uh, was a, a two-week trip by my notes from my diaries uh, in which uh, I went to uh, Constantinople, Istanbul, uh, for several reasons. Um, but before we get to Istanbul, actually on the way, um, I flew into Athens and had a couple of days. That was my first trip to, to Greece. and. Uh, flew to Athens and went around to various religious places, uh, significant, uh, especially in, in, in Athens itself. We didn't get out into the country or the Greek islands much. Um, but we were going, or I was going, to meet up with the Cavan Church Study Group, which was a group that I think I mentioned before uh, was meeting back in the mid-90s, uh, called together and sort of coordinated by Father Serge Kelleher, the editor of Eastern Church's Journal early on, and Archbishop Sevelod, the co-patron of the Society of St. John Chrysostom and the Oriental Roman Conferences, uh, Metropolitan Callistos, who uh, I had met uh, a year or two before, uh, and Bishop Basil Austin, who is now retired Bishop Emeritus of Stanford, Connecticut. And uh, they were organizing every six to 12 months these study groups that were a bilateral dialogue of Ukrainians, Catholics and Orthodox. Mm. And they were talking about, at an academic level, whether in fact the Church of Kiev ever split because at the time of the excommunication of 1054 when Rome and Constantinople split, Kiev was in communion with both and never was really a party to those excommunications. And so they were trying to claim they did not need a reunification, they just needed to recognize the unity that has existed since the Union of Brest, mm -hmm. and that therefore their dialogue was simply to talk about how we're common and how do we go about getting back into uh, practical, visible communion uh, because there are no theological differences. Yeah. We're the same church. Um, and I, I thought there was a lot of truth to that. Um, anyway, the Kevin Study Group, like I said, had been meeting uh, every several, uh, every year or so, 
And at the time when I was starting to publish Eastern Church's journal, I was invited to sort of be a, uh, today we would use the pejorative term, hanger on. I was sort of invited to take pictures and be around the group for non-meeting events uh, because the meetings were uh, private. And so I was not allowed into the formal discussions. I was just there. I was their ultra server. I uh, took pictures, made reports into the journal of what I saw, and I went on various excursions and travel and so forth. Well, they were meeting in Constantinople on the island of Halki, uh, which was where there was a monastery and a seminary in the 70s of the Orthodox that was closed by the Turks. And uh, I accompanied them and went to Istanbul, stayed in the hotel, and on the last day of the uh, Kievan Church study meeting, they invited me out because they were having liturgy and they needed someone to serve at the altar. Uh, so I was I was the servant. All of them were clergy, so they felt it was you know not quite their place to just act as an acolyte. Uh, but that's what I did, and so. But what was interesting about it was uh, here I was, a Greek Catholic, behind the Iconostas, serving at the altar with several Ukrainian Orthodox and Kalistos, Greek Orthodox, uh, the celebrants. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, as you just, uh, what you said, why that study group began, because the theology is the same. <laughs> yeah, so. Why? So it was kind of kind of an exciting time for me to be meeting all these people, and then uh, that same year we had finished a two-year project of scanning and reprinting a clean version of the 1639 Liturgicon of Peter Mohila, uh, and I think I've talked about that book project in the past. So we were presenting a white leather edition to the patriarch uh, that we had prepared as a special edition, and so I was invited uh, to that private audience. So the private audience was Father Serge, Archbishop Sevlod, uh, Bishop Lostin, and myself. Uh, and uh, we met, the, met with the patriarch in his office and presented the, uh, uh, the white leather edition in a nice big white box, so it was a real formal kind of a uh, gift. But we also made four other copies of the same. Uh, a white box with a white leather edition with gold edged paper of the Mohila Slujadmit. And the other copies were designated one for the Pope uh, whenever we would have the chance to see him. I never did get to present it to him, I presented it to the Cardinal uh, in charge of the ecumenical office, and they promised me that they would get it to them. Uh, the second copy was for Father Serge, who was the editor and the brains behind the whole idea. And then the other two went to the two Ukrainian hierarchs, Sevalod and Basil, uh, who were uh, a part of that. So we made five of the books. Uh, each of them with the book bindery cost $500 for the book and the box. And so it was a bit of an expensive proposition, but 
having you know the chance to meet the patriarch and give it to him uh, seemed like it was worth worth it to me. So um, from Athens, I flew to Istanbul, spent a, a couple of days getting to know the city because it was my first time there. And then on Tuesday, April 16th, was the date of our, our audience. Uh, I remember the patriarch's office, uh, the what's called the Fenar, uh, was somewhat, I, to be polite, disorganized. Uh, we did not have a specific appointment time. It was sort of like, yeah, the patriarch will see you on Tuesday. Uh, so the, the idea was you showed up at nine in the morning and you waited until you were called. And in those early years, uh, sometimes I was called in with whoever I was with at 10. Sometimes it was one. Sometimes it was even four o'clock in the afternoon and you had to wait around that whole time until the patriarch was ready to see you. I don't think we had to wait very long because we had two hierarchs and it was just going to be a pleasant visit with the gift. And so it was nothing uh, controversial or consequential that he had to prepare for. Uh, it was just he had to, you know, sort of be there and uh, uh, be available for us to, to chat and explain what we were doing and, and who Peter Mohila was. I'm sure he knew who that was, but the details about the book and, and what we were presenting to him. Uh, I have pictures that makes me remember this, the, the event better. And uh, of course, each of us got a picture with the patriarch holding the book, uh, including myself. And then uh, the patriarch, uh, we left all five copies with someone. We took one in and then left, took all five copies with us. And then uh, after our audience, we asked someone on the staff if the patriarch could sign all of them for us. Hmm. And so I'm very blessed to have a white leather edition of the Peter Mohila Slujebnik Liturgicon that I made in 1996, sitting on my bookcase with an inscription of Bartholomew. Uh, and then I asked, I think Callistos, uh, because the patriarch's handwriting is very elaborate to begin with. And of course, it's all in Greek. Uh, and so I uh, asked Callistos, and so I have a small business card in the book that has printed in English what it says. That's nice. uh, And basically something to the effect, you know, uh, to the servant of God, Jack Fiegel, uh, uh, with prayers and blessings, Bartholomew, Constantinople, April 16th, uh, 1996. So it's it's kind of cool to have that book on the shelf as a remembrance. Uh, that's going to be one of the books that is left in my will to the seminary library in Pittsburgh, where uh, all of my special signed editions and a complete collection of all my publications are going to be uh, left to their library and uh, they've agreed to put on a special bookcase mm -hmm. of yes. Jack Fiegel editions 
and these special signature editions that are going to be, uh, you know, I think perhaps uh, somewhat valuable um, by that time, maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, depending on how many years the good Lord uh, allows me to stay uh, in this life before the next. And also, it so, has both of there. Uh, was it when you say printed? Did he like write it out with his handwriting, uh, Callistos? Yes. Or, okay, yeah. So you have both of their handwritings in that book. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> both of them. It's triply uh, valuable after that yeah. moment. Uh, and I, I, I actually have uh, somewhere in the files uh, a couple of Callistos's papers from Oriental Illumin. Um, because he did not own a computer or a typewriter. And it's interesting to realize that he wrote all of his books By longhand. Hand. Yeah. And then had someone to type them up. And uh, so his speeches or his lectures at the Oriental Lumen conferences, he had longhand written up notes that he left me. Nice. Uh, to use to make the proceedings. Uh, the first 10 years of Orange Lumen, we did published proceedings books and in order to get his paper in, I needed a, a, a manuscript. And so I literally have a handwritten manuscript in his, in his handwriting. Which then also means every time we have a Callistos lecture series on the podcast, those notes in his hand, because I can see the visual when I'm editing it, they're all handwritten. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Um, now, many times those notes are exactly that, notes. It's not a manuscript um, because he reorganizes and reshuffles. And I've been there preparing for some of those recordings where we're still, or he's still on his kitchen table sorting through the pieces of paper into a certain series and putting some into the folder they came from, namely he's not going to talk about that, or it goes into what he's gathering to be his notes, and then he talks from those notes, uh, shuffling the papers as he goes. Uh, and uh, uh, when I asked him about getting a manuscript, he, he said, oh, you know, all he has is notes that he talks from. Uh, and there are actually a few videos that he had no notes that he just talked uh, haven't yet seen those so yeah yeah you know you'll you're, you'll you'll get to them the, the one that i remember most distinctly was uh, churches of the christian east which was uh him giving an oral summary on video of his book the orthodox church mm-hmm and all I did was present to him the outline of the chapters, and he took each chapter heading and sat and spoke for 45 minutes. Well, okay then. So, back uh, to 1996. Yeah, back to 1996. After the audience, um, uh, we had lunch with the patriarch, which was uh, kind of exciting to have the opportunity to be with him uh, for that period of time. And then in the evening I had dinner with uh, uh, Archbishop Sevlod, Bishop Boston, and Father Serge. Uh, 
I then stayed a couple more days while the Kevin study group was meeting out on Honky and toured around. But one of the persons I met uh, in the Fenar, the uh, offices, was a deacon Tarasios. And he was the grand archdeacon of the patriarch at the time, which meant he was in charge of all the liturgical ceremonies uh, and sort of was the senior deacon of all the deacons that worked at the Fenar. And um, he was having computer problems uh, uh, at his desk and uh, having, you know, studied and spent a lot of my time with computers. I sat down and was able to work out how to fix it. And he was so grateful that he didn't have to call in a repair person or some software expert. Uh, he invited me out for dinner <laughs> that week. So I also had dinner with the Grand Archdeacon, who five years later became Metropolitan of Buenos Aires. Uh, and now I believe he's uh, Metropolitan um, in title, but that he's in residence at uh, the Athenagoras Orthodox Institute at Berkeley University in California. I, but anyway, I first met him almost 30 years ago and he was the archdeacon and I fixed his computer and he took me out for dinner and being the first time at Istanbul being taken out for dinner. That was another exciting part of, of the trip. <laughs> when I went out to Honky, I uh, served for the liturgy, uh, had lunch with the group, took pictures uh, and then came back. I didn't stay overnight. I stayed in the hotel near Taksim Square that, that we were using as sort of a base of operations. Uh, so um, I was there for a whole week, got out to see a few things, and we had the audience. But most of the time, I just spent in my hotel room uh, without a whole lot to do because all the action was elsewhere. Uh, so I remember uh, that it was almost a, a mini vacation at the beach rather than with lots and lots of things uh, to do and, uh, and you know, uh, uh, go see. Hmm. And another of the days uh, after the Hulky meeting was finished um, was that uh, we took a small minibus tour because the Kevin study group was about eight or 10 people. Uh, we took a small uh, mini bus tour of the main sites of Constantinople. Uh, and that was on Saturday the 20th. And um, of course, we saw the highlights of Hagia Sophia uh, and the Blue Mosque and the Hippodrome uh, and uh, things like uh, the Grand Bazaar, uh, a covered mall in the Turkish sense, where all these shops, little 10 by 10 square foot areas, and there's like a thousand of them in under one roof. Uh, the biggest shopping mall you can imagine. Um, <laughs> but at the crossroads of east and west and north and south and, uh, you know, split between two continents. So it's a, a heavily traveled trade route. Um, on Sunday the 21st, after all of these things, uh, we were invited and attended the liturgy uh, on Sunday with the patriarch, um, but it was not him serving. 
uh, as one of the shortcomings and issues of him staying in Istanbul, the Turks do not allow the Patriarch to celebrate liturgy every every week. He is only allowed to celebrate the liturgy on special occasions, special feast days, uh, and that's a way in which they feel that they control him because the Turks don't recognize him as a world leader, as ecumenical patriarch. He's simply the Bishop of Istanbul. Mm. And in order to prove their point, they uh, restrict him from uh, serving liturgy very often. Mostly he presides from the throne uh, that's in the middle of the church off to the side. Uh, uh, but what's interesting about the throne is even though the church is more recent, the throne survives from the days of St. John Chrysostom. It was the throne that Chrysostom used when he was patriarch and Archbishop of Constantinople in Which the fourth century. Very, very long time. It was back in the fourth century. That's right. So I'm literally some, the reason why that even like popped into my head like that is because right now one of the things I'm reading is the history of the Catholic Church from apostolic age to the third millennium and the way he the way the book is broken down is it's like it's in 500 year chunks and then every single topic that happened within it so it's like here's this from the year 33 to the year 500 rather than like a linear timeline and so i'm reading it and i'm continuously seeing chrysostom years 400 to whenever he died and like so you're like from the years of uh, when Chrysostom was still uh, over Constantinople. I'm like, I'm. It's not even five chapters into my book. <laughs> that's how long right. it was. That, that's right. It was. It's one of the earlier chapters is when he lived. Yeah. Gives you. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, hopefully Tarzan. One of these days, you'll have the opportunity to get to Istanbul, and you can see those places and see that throne. Because I'm sure they're gonna, they're gonna keep it a while. Um, but yeah, the first time I saw it and was told what it was, and realized, my goodness, that's been here sixteen, seventeen hundred years, mm-hmm. uh, and it's still in use. Yeah, uh, that's where he presides the liturgy, and he also presides a fairly on a fairly regular basis uh, the daily office that takes place in the Cathedral of Saint George. So. He will turn up for Vespers on a regular basis. And when he does, there are, in the Greek usage of Vespers, there are places where the um, uh, ecclesiarch or the head hierarch of the place at the time has a solo uh, of chanting the stakira or, uh, you know, uh, I think it's, it's mostly the stakira, it's Psalm 140. Um, but it's it's interesting. He's got a very, very good baritone singing voice. Uh, I don't, I don't know the Greek chant like I know the Ruthenian chant, <laughs> but uh, he seems to sing it well, and it's always uh, a great pleasure to be there. It, it seems like it is, you know, the propers or the changeable parts, or the psalms. Uh, he may, he may, you know, recite and chant the psalms, but. Uh, What's, what's also curious to note when he does that, 
he does not bring his own book in. Uh, there's a book there prepared for him by the deacon. Okay. And all he has to do is all he has to do is turn to the side. The deacon has the book open to the page that he's supposed to be on and points on the page of what he's supposed to be chanting. Uh, so he doesn't have to read the Tipicon to see uh, what he's supposed to take, what he's, what he's supposed to uh, pray. Someone prepares it for him. So our, our trip concluded um, with that liturgy with the Patriarch on Sunday the 21st. Uh, and uh, then I think Monday or Tuesday, flew back to Washington after that week in uh, in Istanbul. So it was um, it was an exciting trip for me, uh, being the first time in Istanbul, first time to meet the Patriarch. Um, and, uh, and to have uh, the presentation of the special white leather book that I have sitting on my shelf and every time I walk by, you know, it reminds me of that experience. So um, it, it stays very present in my life uh, and uh, was, a, was a special, special uh, event. Um, so uh, that's the first of many. Uh, our next few weeks, I will uh, attempt to uh, joggle my memory, uh, memory banks for other encounters with the Ecumenical Patriarch. Um, and it's actually gonna be fun in preparing uh, to sit down and count them. Uh, I think the number is over 20, mm. but I'm not sure exactly how many, and uh, I'm gonna go through uh, my diaries from year to year and make notes of when I was in Istanbul to meet him. I've met him outside of Istanbul um, twice. Uh, no, sorry, three times. <clears throat> uh, and so we'll, we'll certainly tell those stories as well. Uh, when he's been on pastoral visits to the States, uh, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to be invited and to meet him uh, in person outside of Istanbul. So those stories are the ones that are coming over the next few weeks and uh, uh, look forward to sharing them with everybody. So uh, have a good week uh, and, and continued blessed Lent. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, seeing that that clearly concludes this episode, thank you all for coming to this episode of Jack's Corner. Uh, thank you, Jack, for sharing the story. Um, it's nice to know what you were doing the days that I was coming home from the hospital as an infant. <laughs> My birthday is April 12th, and that's the year I was born. So. Well, then, you, you and my nephew have a lot in common because he was born that same week as well. All right. Well, again, thank you all for coming, and we'll see you next week. God bless and goodbye. <laughs>